Our scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, which is located in our church Bibles on page 974, also on the inside of your bulletin. Please stand if you're able as we read from the New Testament. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion was not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Please be seated. People who work with animals know that it is rarely the case that an animal that's been held in captivity that is released out into the wild will succeed in surviving. You might remember the story of Free Willy, the movie that came out in the early 90s, like 93-ish. Um, if, you, if you missed it, that's okay. You didn't miss out on, on too much with Free Willy. Um, but the premise of the movie was that there was this orca, this killer whale that was in captivity and struck up a relationship with this boy who wanted to work with others for its release, if my memory serves correct. And there's this uh, quintessential scene in the movie where Willie, where Willie jumps, the whale jumps to his freedom over the boy's head with the soundtrack of Michael Jackson in the background, and he jumps to his freedom out in the wide ocean. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning, but the truth is that uh, subsequent to the movie, People did take action. There were activists who said, we need to free this whale. And so a significant amount of energy was spent, millions of dollars was spent to, to reacclimate this whale and to take it back out into the wild, to the ocean. Uh, and so the whale was finally released and uh, the whale ended up not surviving in the wild, uh, unsurprisingly. And it, was, it died of health complications and pneumonia, partly because it was swimming in a too shallow of an area. But they determined that the reason why the whale didn't succeed out in the wild was, was because it kept returning to humans. In fact, it would swim up alongside boats to try to communicate with humans. It was trying to come back to its place of captivity. It was swimming up into shallow waters because it couldn't survive in this newfound freedom. You can imagine the zookeeper or the wildlife expert who takes this animal to a mountaintop, 
this animal that's been in captivity for some time, takes it up in a cage, opens the door of the cage to thousands of acres of freedom in a, brand, you know, in a forest place to live, and the animal refuses to leave the cage. And the game warden has to, has to bang on the back of the cage and say, and say, you're free, go free, enjoy your newfound freedom. Paul's words to us this morning may sound repetitive. For freedom, Christ has set us free. But it's as if he's saying, you're free. Go free. Enjoy your freedom. Don't crawl back into that cage. Don't return to your place of captivity. And you can't blame the animal because the animal doesn't, doesn't know what freedom is really like. and doesn't have the capacity to understand just what the animal has before them to go off and enjoy thousands of acres of freedom to be free. And so Paul calls us to that freedom this morning. Let me open with a word of prayer. Lord, you know how much I needed to hear this this week. You know the burden that so many of us carry of a guilty conscience, that heavy yoke that weighs on us. Lord, you know our tendency to revert back to old ways of captivity, to devalue the cross, to forget what you've done for us. And Lord, you know that there are people here potentially this morning who have not yet experienced freedom in Christ. Lord, would you speak, speak through the preaching of the gospel this morning, speak through your word. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. In your name I pray, amen. So <clears throat> three things about this freedom for Paul. What is freedom? What is gospel freedom? Secondly, how do we experience it? deeply on a heart level, and finally, how do we live it out? The freedom of the gospel, what is it, how do we experience it, and how do we live it out? Here's how Paul starts, Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He begins his definition of freedom by uh, negatively defining what freedom is not. He says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The term here is actually an agricultural term, this yoke, this, this heavy yoke of slavery. If you think of an animal, a beast of burden, an ox, with an incredibly heavy yoke that's tight, that's constricting, that's so heavy that the animal can't stand up straight. It can't perform the duties, the tasks, the work that it needs to do. It can't run, it can't walk, it can't move forward because it carries this heavy burden. It is crushed under its weight. I'm a tall person. Um, there's a sign here on the stand that says, please do not adjust the mic, trust the sound guy. And Michael said to me the other day, that rule applies to everybody except for you <laughs> because you're so oddly tall that you need to adjust the mic so that we can hear you. And much of my life is spent bending over, you know, talking, talking to people that I don't always have the best posture. And I've been experiencing pain for the last couple years running down one of my arms. And it seems to be the case that I have a pinched nerve because I've had poor posture, because I haven't been standing straight, because I've been looking at screens too much and, and, and the like. Listen to what it says in Leviticus 24, 13. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. 
There's something about the gospel that frees us from this burden so that we can stand up, stand up straight, and enjoy the freedom that God has called us to. There are many of us who don't understand that the gospel, the good news, that your sin has been atoned for in Christ, not only frees us from sin, but it frees you from that constant voice that says, you're not a good enough mother. That you're failing as a father. Because you come home from work, and you're harsh, and you're short with the kids, and you're frustrated, and you're angry. You carry that guilt and that weight and that burden of your conscience. You're failing as an employee, and hoping that your boss won't find out. You're failing as a son or a daughter, as a student. You don't measure up to the standard. You don't measure up to the law. And you carry that weight, that crushing yoke that follows us everywhere we go. You call yourself a Christian, but what have you been watching? And so Paul calls us into a newfound freedom and reminds us not to go back to that, that captivity, that yoke of slavery. He calls us in the gospel to something new to say that you are forgiven in Christ this morning. That the burden has been released. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to you that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You see, the Galatians are a people who have gone from being uh, just outright pagans. Sexual immorality, things happening even out in the streets that you can't imagine. People who are worshiping idols and have given themselves to these pagan sinful practices. And they've encountered the gospel with Paul. Paul plants a church churches throughout Galatia and they repent they come to Christ they receive salvation in Christ but now it's as though they've swung in the other direction and they become a religious bunch and they don't see that they are slaves not not as much to the former ways of sin but now they're slaves to the law and to thinking that they have to obey to earn God's favor and so Paul says Circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither of those matter for anything when it comes to your salvation. Meaning upholding the law or failing to uphold the law, neither counts, neither can save you. And so we only turn through faith to the hope that we have, the hope for righteousness, that one day Christ will return, one day we will be with him, reunited and fully sanctified. This is the freedom of the gospel. It relieves that burden. It says Christ has done the work for you. The work is finished. But how do we experience this freedom? Because the Galatians had heard the good news, and in a sense they had received it, and yet they keep going back in the wrong direction. They keep going back to this, not a mentality of a child, but that of a slave, a servant of God. How do we experience it on a heart level? He says, for through faith, by the Spirit, excuse me, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. 
This word hope is not a, a crossing of the fingers, a wishful thinking, but this is a certainty that because of the work of Christ and the power of the gospel, we can be assured that we will one day have this full righteousness in Christ. And when God sees us now, he looks at us and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let me give you an illustration of what it looks like for this to play itself out in your heart. Spurgeon uses this illustration in one of his sermons. He says, he tells the story of a king, a farmer, and a nobleman, okay? Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in a land. One day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to the king and said, my lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or will ever grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you, O king. The king was touched. And the king discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land to you freely as a gift. So you can garden, you can garden the entire plot of land. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all of this. And he said, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? The next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. This is the folly of the Galatians, that they're not obeying God out of a heart of genuine gratitude for the gospel and what Christ has done for them. These are people who are obeying for their own salvation who are obeying to preserve themselves and actually using God through their good works. And so the false teachers come along and they put even more and more pressure on them, more rules to follow, the obedience of circumcision. But the truth of the gospel is that Christ has taken your place, that you cannot fail out of or succeed into his love. It is a free gift of salvation. So receive it. Christ met the demands of the law for us. He died for our disobedience and thus bore our condemnation in our place. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, as Paul said earlier in Galatians, having become that curse for us. And if you haven't yet received that gift of grace, then all the things that you've done in your life that you think you're doing for God, you've actually been doing them for yourself. It's only when we receive the sonship of the Father that we're adopted into his family that then we can begin to serve him out of the right kind of obedience, out of gratitude. And here's how it works. Remember back to that crushing yoke, that weight of guilt, of a guilty conscience. Here's what Jesus comes along and says in the gospel. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
He comes alongside us. He carries the burden for us. And when we fail, as we inevitably will, he picks us back up again and continues to carry us along in the grace of the gospel. This is the freedom of the gospel. Richard Lovelace has, I think, a wonderful illustration of how this ought to play itself out in our lives. He says, if you imagine an iron bar and an iron bar that's been bent, how do you straighten out that iron bar? Well, you could, with sheer force, bend that thing back, bend it straight once again. But anybody who works with metal will know that at that point, it's even weaker and more brittle than it ever was. If you bend it even a little bit further, it's probably going to break under the force. But the best way to straighten out a bent piece of iron is to get it hot, to put it over a fire. A fire that's so hot that it's glowing, you know, that orange and red. And then that thing can be bent in whatever direction you need it to go. You see, the Galatians with sheer force are trying to uphold the law. And it's causing them to live with this guilty conscience. But the gospel comes along and it warms our hearts. And it says, this is a free gift that you didn't deserve. And when it heats us, then we can begin, out of our obedience, out of our gratitude to what God has done for us, then we can begin to feel free from that guilty burden and obey him as he has called us. How many of us, as we raise our children, are are in the practice of trying to bend bars rather than heating hearts? I have to confess this week that I thought, you know, there are many times when I, as a pastor, have put pressure on people to perform without first being patient and gracious and gentle and lowly with like Christ and first preaching the grace of the gospel and saying, now let's obey together. And if you make a mistake in the future, that's okay. He still forgives us. We can't outrun his grace. This is how the gospel changes us. And this is why Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who convinced you of this lie that you need to suddenly uphold the law And that you can earn God's favor by teaching Sunday school and going to church and reading your Bible more. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. By by the way, that's an encouraging word for the Galatians. He says, look, I'm warning you. I'm concerned about these false teachers. But for you, I do have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. If you turn back to grace... And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Meaning, what the false teachers are saying is that I'm somehow agreeing with you that you need to be circumcised to earn God's favor. And yet they're still persecuting me. Of course, that's not what I'm preaching. I'm preaching Christ and him crucified alone. And then he says this in verse 12. And I have to say this because it's here and it's in scripture. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. They're so concerned about circumcision, I wish they would go all the way. That's how dangerous this teaching is for Paul. I wish that their future line, their future generations, that they would be cursed and there would be no one to come after them. Salvation by works is so dangerous. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So finally then, how do we live it out? What is this freedom? 
the freedom of the gospel, the freedom from this burden, guilty conscience, that Christ has taken our place. How do we experience it like that iron bar that's heated as we come to the gospel and receive the forgiveness of Christ? But finally, how do we live in this newfound freedom? Here's what he says. For you are called to freedom, brothers. He kind of bookends this passage. He starts with freedom. He's going to end with freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we are to live. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now, this begs an interesting question. If you have your freedom in Christ, if when it comes to your salvation, there are no consequences for your sin, why do we not go on living as a people who do whatever we want to gratify the flesh? Why would we want to obey? You think of the, uh, the senior in high school who's about to graduate and has already gotten into college. I'm accepted. Why do I need to work any harder at school? You see, that's the mentality of a servant and of a slave who's performing. But the mentality of a beloved child says, I want to obey God because he set me free. Because I love him. And I'm no longer living in captivity. And this is what it means to live out in the wild in the way that God has called me to be able to run and jump and be free. And so I surrender my freedom. I obey him. I trust Christ as my Savior, I exhibit the same humility that Christ exhibited as he went even to death on the cross. Now, this call to love your neighbor as yourself. Look, I know what it means to love myself. I take a shower just about every day. I clothe myself every day. I brush my teeth. I've gotten really good at making sure that I have three meals a day. What does it mean to love your neighbor in the same way that you take care of yourself? I haven't figured it out yet. What does it mean to be just as concerned about paying my own mortgage as the mortgage of my neighbor? This is a radical generosity that God calls us to. He's saying, don't use your Christian liberty. Don't use your freedom to simply benefit yourself, but begin to die for others and you'll be even more free. John Stott says Christians are not uh, people who have become free to sin, but free not to sin. That's the freedom that you need. And if you've ever dealt with addiction and the cycle of shame and going back to the same thing over and over again, you know that you not only need freedom from the sin, but you need freedom not to sin, to replace it with something else, the love of Christ and the things that God has called you to. Titus 2.13 says the gospel of salvation has appeared and teaches us to say no to unrighteousness. That it's the Holy Spirit working in you and through you and teaching you that causes you to embrace this new freedom in Christ. Not in the business of, of bending iron bars, but heating you to the point where you want nothing more than to love him as a child upon whom he looks and says, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And so whether you are on the Uganda team, preparing for a trip to serve others, love your neighbor as yourself, you will have many opportunities. Whether you are a deacon, whether you are an elder, whether you are a teacher in this church, whether you are out serving in the community, 
You are free. You've been called in Christ to this newfound freedom. Now go and love others as he has called you. What is freedom in Christ? It's freedom from sin and freedom from a guilty conscience. Freedom from the burden of trying to impress our Father, knowing that he has forgiven us. How do we experience it? We come back to the heat of the grace of the gospel time and time again. And how do we live it out? Forget about yourself. Experience that freedom from a guilty conscience and serve and love your neighbor as yourself. Let me pray. Jesus, you said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. And Jesus, you did that as you went faithfully to the cross for us on our behalf. It's neither circumcision or uncircumcision that saves us. It's neither the fact that we are irreligious or religious people that saves us in our own efforts, our own work. The work of salvation is not one of human achievement, but of divine achievement. And in Christ on the cross, it is finished. Lord, we thank you for that work today. In your name we pray. Amen.